Thank you, Nathan. And good morning again, everybody. So glad you're here, and thank you for those of you joining us online. And maybe to help us uh, better connect with you, if you've got any prayer requests as you're watching online, feel free to uh, put that in the comments section if you're comfortable doing that there underneath the video. So one reminder, this coming Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., we're going to be having a prayer service here in the auditorium. Gary Copps is going to be leading that, so if there are things on your heart and mind that you would like to be lifting up in prayer uh, with the body of Christ, feel free to join us this Tuesday evening at 6.30 here in the auditorium. In 2017, one 12-year-old girl demonstrated just how much she loves Chicken McNuggets. She did it in a very uh, captivating sort of way. She actually became an internet sensation. Because when walking down the street with her Chicken McNuggets, a classmate of hers, a, a young man, saw her and said, Give me one. She said, No, and kept walking. The young man pulled out a gun, put it to her head, and said, I want a Chicken McNugget. She reached up, slapped his hand away, and said, you're not getting one. And at that point, they parted ways, and he just kept on going, and she went her own way. Now, this young man was eventually apprehended for attempted burglary, but my goodness, you've got you've to at least admire the courage that this woman, this very young one, this girl has, and don't get in between her and her chicken McNuggets. So what would you be willing to die for? And by the way, I do not recommend you give up your life for your Chicken McNuggets. I'd, I'd pass those along. Uh, but I admire her courage, at least. She did not give in to intimidation or oppression or temptation. I mean, it was sure just a Chicken McNugget, but she made it clear she was not going to be bullied by force or by evil to do something that she did not want to do. It does make me wonder how far I would go in not cowing to pressures from the outside, particularly pressures against my faith. Maybe you've pictured yourself. What would you do if someone broke into your home? Would you die for your family? There's a book that I've been reading. I've mentioned it several times, a book called Live Not By Lies. The author, Rod Dreher, interviewed a number of different Christians living uh, in communist Russia. There was one that struck me in particular that I came across this past week. His name is Viktor Popkov. And someone asked him, how did you endure the years of harassment and imprisonment, never knowing where you stood, never knowing what was going to happen the next day as living in a, in a gulag? And he said this, maybe this will sound strong. But the principles and the things that you confess, you need to be ready to die for them, and only then will you have the strength to resist. See, I believe there's a scripture that these kind of folks get that sometimes I don't know. Maybe you don't know if you really get it until you're actually faced with it. It's 1 Corinthians 15. I read this virtually every single time I've done a funeral. I come to this passage. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
question I want to talk about this morning is this victory. How do I live victoriously in Christ? What does it mean to live victoriously in Christ? What all does that encompass? To have a freedom from fear, to live with an unshakable kind of faith. Because, see, that's the story that we're going to hear today. It's, it's one that you're familiar with. It's about a young shepherd boy facing a giant. And how is he going to respond to this? We're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm going to start with verses 4 through 11, and then I'm going to go down and read verses 38 through 49. If you would please stand with me as we read 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting with 4 through 11, and then 38 through 49. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. It's about 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skipping down to verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and, and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. 
And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. You may be seated. Again, we're continuing through the book of 1 Samuel. We hear this story that we're familiar with. In the previous section, we saw that David was an anointed shepherd waiting to see what was going to be next. But what he did was go back to shepherding for a while until God called him into the palace of Saul. But he's waiting. He's heart playing. He's easing this evil spirit that's tormenting Saul. And now we see him shine in this moment, this story that many of us are familiar with. This young shepherd boy taking on this giant, this Goliath of Gath. And through this, we see David called to the task. And because of his victory, we get to unpack some deeper understandings of the nature of the Christian walk. So as we approach the question that I brought up this morning about living victoriously in Christ, I'd like to do it this way. First of all, I want to talk about understanding it should be your enemy, understanding your enemy, understanding the Messiah. Because David is a prefiguring, you could say he is a type of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then we'll talk about how do I live out Christ's victory. Four ways. The picture of David having victory over Goliath is a picture of the victory that Christ has over the world, the flesh, and the devil and sin. So let's go about it this way. First of all, let's talk about understanding our enemy understanding our enemy. We have to try in this story to imagine Goliath. According to the dimensions in this passage, he's nine foot four. Now, in other places, it gives a little different height, but the point is, is clear. I, nobody ran up with a measuring tape to measure Goliath when he was laying there dead. The point is, he's a great, big, scary guy with big weapons and big armor and a, and a delusional sense of confidence about taking on anybody that would try and oppose him. He's physically superior to everybody. And he wants to engage in man-to-man combat. That was one way they could settle a battle. Picture the armies of Israel on one side of the Valley of Elah. Uh, the, the other side, the armies of the Philistines. They wanted to meet in the valley. These Philistines were under the impression that the God of the Israelites, strangely, was just the God of the mountaintops. So if they could meet him down in the valley, their god, Dagon, would prevail. So there's some parallels made here, interestingly, on appearance. You may remember the description given of Saul. Saul said, was said to have appeared kingly. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. We see something similar here with Goliath. He has the appearance of being a big, scary guy that can take on anyone. And then in verse 11, it says that Saul and the Israelites were greatly afraid of the words of Goliath. But David was different. He didn't see this enemy the way that everybody else did. He was actually there to perform a menial task in those verses between the uh, two portions I read today. We see that he was sent by his father to bring food to his brothers who were there on the battle lines. And he saw Goliath. He heard the words of Goliath. He saw his size. He took in all he had to say, but he had a very different reaction. The soldiers were running scared. But then we see in verse 26 the response of David. 
And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now, nobody was really asking this question. It says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Whoa! Nobody had uttered something like that yet. Because David sees Goliath the way God sees Goliath. He's worshiping a false god, Dagon. David doesn't see a giant to be afraid of. He just sees another pagan that needs exterminated, that lives in this land of Canaan. God had commanded them to defeat them. And to David, he's no more frightening than a lion or a bear, both of which he's already gone to battle with. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 37, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Saul may have been even a little too anxious to get David out there on the battlefield. So he gets his stones, he gets a slingshot, and he sinks one right in the middle of the giant's forehead. So God, through David, defeats this giant, Israel's physical enemy, just because of his willingness to be used to do this. The other soldiers then could trample Goliath because of what David did. See, this is a picture of what Christ did for us. As a matter of fact, in the story, David is really the Christ figure. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But he's the one the Holy Spirit has come upon. He's the one that will defeat the enemies. And the rest of the nation is going to get to enjoy this victory that David has provided. God, through David, has provided. See, we also get to enjoy defeat over our enemies. We also live in a war zone, and every single morning when you wake up, even though it could be a beautiful day outside, it was an incredible sun dog if you saw it this morning, but you stepped out onto a battlefield. But what does that battle look like? It makes itself evident at times. It's when you're tempted to lash out at someone and be hurtful. It can be when you're alone with your cell phone and you turn to porn to deal with your issues. It's when you feel, need to feel good about yourself and you've got to outperform those around you. See, these are the kind of spiritual battles that we are going to face each and every day. Now, in the same way that God told the Israelites he would be with them to go and defeat the people in the land of Canaan, Christ has defeated our enemies, which are not people. It's so important to remember. We get that from Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a verse talking about demonic powers at work in people and against you. I like the way one commentator puts it. The struggle is not physical against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual conflict against the spiritual mafia. Satan sits like the Godfather, getting people to do his will. It could be world leaders, but we can have victory over this spiritual mafia. I love what it says in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, 
you're from God and, ever, and have overcome them, them being false prophets, people controlled by, by Satan. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that came upon David that enabled him to go out and defeat that giant. Christ has defeated our enemies. He's provided us this victory. He sent the Holy Spirit to us. Another important facet of this story that's really, and you have to think of it this way, is this understanding that we get about the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. From this story. And David was this prefiguring of Jesus Christ. That's why when we read the story, we need to understand that the same way we have an example of David, we have an example of Jesus Christ as well. But in the same way David defeated Goliath and the Israelites get to enjoy the victory, Christ defeated our enemies and we also enjoy that victory. So in that sense, David is what you would call a type. Of Christ. A type is an Old Testament person or place or event that points towards the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, uh, the writers took great labors to show that Christ was of the lineage of David. Martin Luther actually stated this very well. He said, When David overcame the great Goliath, there came among the Jewish people the good report and encouraging news that their terrible enemy had been struck down. And that they had been rescued and given joy and peace, and they sang and danced and were glad for it. Then he goes on to say, Thus this gospel of God is a good story and report, sounded forth into all the world by the apostles, telling of a true David, who strove with sin, death, and the devil, and overcame them, and thereby rescued all those who were captive in sin, afflicted with death, and overpowered by the devil." Without any merit of their own, he made them righteous, gave them life, and saved them so that they were given peace and brought back to God. The scriptures tell us that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. That's because of the victory that Christ has won over the devil. So we have this victory that God has provided us, like the one David provided. So then looking after looking at David and Christ, we come to that question, how do I live out this victory then? Satan is mortally wounded, but he can still do his mischief as well as his minions. I want to suggest four things here. Um, and first of all, we need to see spiritually. We need to see spiritually. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, let me just be clear first of all. I'm not talking about seeing sort of the spiritual realm, uh, you know, the angels and the demons actually fighting it out, although I'm not going to say that uh, people don't see angels. Scripture says that they can appear as travelers and, and uh, people like that. I think it's rare, and we don't necessarily know when it happens, but I'm not really talking about seeing spiritual beings. I am talking about seeing in a way that David sees the world in this passage, and it's a theme that occurs both um, in the previous chapter as well as the one we looked at today, and again, uh, remember, Saul, they said, looked kingly. But he ended up being a pretty lousy king, wouldn't accept God's authority. The same way Goliath looked scary and intimidating. The Israelites were intimidated by him. But there is a different way of looking at the world. There's a spiritual reality that is easy for us to overlook. So David has this divinely guided insight. He's able to hear and see things that others missed. 
The Israelite troops can't get past the intimidating Philistine. But David only sees him as the one defying the armies of God. David doesn't see hopelessness. He's not frozen by fear. He sees this victory over evil. As a matter of fact, I came across this. This is a great quote from Tony Evans. If all you see is what you see, you will never see all that this, all that, that should be, is to be seen. Let me say that again. If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all that is to be seen. Now, you've got a noodle on that for a minute. If all you see is the world around you, you're not seeing everything. And you have to realize you're not seeing everything. There's a lot going on in this world that we do not see. And it's easy for us to fall into the same trap as those Israelites. God is not going to save that person. I'm not going to bother sharing the gospel with them. I, I, he's not listening to my prayers. The culture is telling you that he either doesn't exist or he doesn't care or Christianity is going to turn you into an intolerant, simple, and naive person. Those are lies. They miss spiritual reality. There was an article written by a guy named Chad Bird. He captured this well and wrote this back in October in an article called The Church in 2020. He said, neither this global pandemic, the gross injustices, the racial tensions, the mad riots, the macabre political theater, not even Tiger King should have shocked anyone, especially those familiar with the Old Testament. All human history from Cain and Abel onward has amply demonstrated that destruction and stupidity, navel-gazing and bloodshed, the ubiquity of fools, and the thin veneer between civilization and anarchy is the norm, not the exception. He said, welcome to Humanity 101, and said, don't worry, it won't get better. <laughs> and yet, he said, we are not the church of Chicken Little, but the church of Jesus Christ. We do not run around screaming, the sky is falling. There's no panic in heaven. Over the chaos of this world reigns the King of Kings, Jesus the Resurrected, before whom every knee will eventually bow, whether they like it or not. Then he ends by saying, every governmental authority now, presidents, kings, prime ministers, you name it, are in lame duck administrations. Their time is ending. Put not your trust in politicians or parties or ballot boxes. Christ and his kingdom are everlasting, and into that kingdom he calls us all to find forgiveness, life, and peace. See, we don't have to freak out. There's still Goliaths in the world today, and we need to see them spiritually. We need to have this kind of, of paradigm, this worldview. And then secondly, be zealous. Be zealous. And it's not a word that zeal is not a word we use that often, but it talks about passion and fervor and enthusiasm. And this is what we see with David. If he hadn't had this zeal for God uh, and faith in God's character, he would never have faced that giant. What will you do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What will you do with information that could lead someone else to immortality? Do you know that's what we have with the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
You know, I can remember when I finally drummed up the courage to ask my wife out on a date. And, uh, you know, I didn't quite know where I stood with her. I didn't know if I was in the friend zone or not. It was a little ambiguous to me. But you know what? I was so just like, I think the word is Twitter pated <laughs> by her. I mean, just the most gorgeous woman God had put on the earth. And I was just like head over heels and trying to hide it for her. So you know what? We finally went on a day. We finally went, on to, went to Starbucks. And I remember on the way to Starbucks, I said, Lord, just give me the courage to tell her this night exactly how I feel about her. And I did. I didn't know how that was going to go. I didn't know if I was going to get the friend speech or not. Fortunately, I didn't. But see, I got to the point where the reward outweighed the risks. And when you can do that, when you can have that passion and that zeal, it's like, you know what? For an eternal kingdom that I'm going to be in forever, that God has given me the privilege of carrying this message to others of how they can have immortality and eternal life, that this world is fleeting by, man, isn't it worth a little risk to have some zeal and some passion to where you can't contain this message. You've got to tell somebody. I hope you get excited about that. Christ's disciples got it. They were all but one was martyred for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. Now they could endure whatever. And why? Why could they do that? They had walked with the resurrected Christ. They knew the truth. They knew that there was a world that could not be seen. As they watched Christ disappear into the heavens, they got it. That's why they were willing to die for this. People get fired up about all kinds of weird stuff in this world and passionate about weird stuff. As a matter of fact, there was a magazine called The Bookseller that ran a competition to find the book with the oddest title. The competition rules stipulate that the work had to be a serious intent and nonfiction. And one year, the winner was Highlights in the History of Concrete. <laughs> the runners-up included the illustrated history of metal lunchboxes and the development of brain and behavior in the chicken. <laughs> Special mention was given to Soviet bus stops and butchering livestock at home. It's amazing what interests people and what they can get excited about and have enough energy to write a book about something like this. Why should people be passionate about metal lunch boxes? And as Christians, we should be passionate about what Christ has done for us. Are we passionate enough to pass it on to others? Be zealous. Then third, avoid groupthink. Avoid groupthink. This is thinking just like everybody else. It's when, uh, if you have an opposing idea with the crowd and it's met with anger, you've encountered groupthink. Uh, and, and notice what the oldest brother of David says to him in verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Typical oldest sibling, right? Yeah. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He's trying to put little brother in his place. 
Get behind me. The oldest brother thinks he's conceited and he disapproves. Saul tries to talk him out of it, but it wasn't happening. David didn't buy the idea that might made right. At some point in your walk with God, you are going to stand alone. And you're going to have to decide what you're going to do in that moment. I'll never forget one of the first times this happened to me. I was in college, and the professor walked in. He was wearing brown shoes, brown pants, a brown coat, brown tie, and said, hello, I'm Dr. Brown. <laughs> and he proceeded to say, does anyone in here believe that man is basically good? And then he went on to say, to put the pressure, it was interesting how he phrased the question. He said, raise your hand if you don't think man is basically good. Man, I, I knew the answer. I was shaken. But I put my hand up in the air. He said, why do you think that? The best answer I could come up with was, well, we don't teach kids how to lie. We teach them to tell the truth. Fortunately, that was good enough. If he'd really, I wasn't going to, I didn't know any big theological answers, but I knew that. We had a sin nature. You're going to have to do this at some point. Boy, be praying for our students. They're living in an environment that most of us have never had to face. It can be intensified when they go to college. Be brave. Now, also listen, because you could be wrong. We're not saying the group is always wrong. As a matter of fact, I think it's important to listen to the, uh, the faithful witnesses that have come before us in church history. I think that's very important. But be careful of this group think. Be careful about just going along with the current of the culture. And then finally, this goes with the previous, expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be misunderstood. David was misunderstood by his brothers, his king. This made no sense to them. A young shepherd boy going out to face a giant. Christ went through something similar. People expected him to be a great military leader, not to come and, and be crucified. The most religious misunderstood him. They're going to misunderstand you. When I told my family I was quitting engineering and going into ministry, <laughs> that didn't fly real well at first. But they came around. Just expect misunderstanding, particularly from the culture. People, God might have you do something that people are not going to understand. Just expect it. Just expect it, and it'll probably be a little smoother for you. But because God has defeated, because Christ defeated our enemies, we can live without fear of failure. So putting this together, live victoriously in Christ by seeing spiritually, being zealous, avoiding groupthink, and expecting misunderstanding. Uh, there's a wonderful promise we have in Romans 8, 37. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me just close by illustrating that. There was a prize fighter who was very good at what he did. And in one particular night he goes and he's going to be in a fight. His wife, though, didn't like to go to the fights. She would just stay home and watch him on TV. So this prize fighter, he went in and he took the beating. He was bloodied and his face was swollen. And he was injured. But he won the fight. And he got the trophy. And he also got the purse, the prize money that came with it. So that prize fighter, he comes home to his wife. And he comes up to the door and she opens the door. And what does he do? He hands her the trophy and the prize money. And she's the one that can go out and spend and buy whatever she wants. You see, he's a conqueror. He conquered that man the ring. But guess what? She's more than a conqueror. 
because she got the prize and she's not the one that had to fight the fight. See, that's why we are more than conquerors. Because we get to live a victorious life because of the victory that Christ has won for us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, what a wonderful life the Christian gets to lead. To live victoriously because you fought the battle and you won. God, I pray that we would have the courage simply to realize that this is true. To believe, to understand that there is a world that we cannot see but is real. God, I pray that we would resist Satan, that he would flee from us. I pray that we wouldn't give in to fear. However it may come, and the culture that we're in seems to be increasingly hostile to, to the things of yours. God, I pray that there's anyone here who's not yet put their faith in you, that this morning would be the morning that they come up, they meet with one of the elders, and they learn what the Bible has to say about how to get to heaven. We ask in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.